apocalypse now, Abyssinia later. The Abyssinian Crisis of 1935-36. A difendere la nostra folgorante vittoria con la stessa intrepida e inesorabile decisione con la quale l'abbiamo conquistata. The voice you just heard there was Benito Mussolini explaining to a crowd in a square in Rome that Italy has just invaded Abyssinia. As you can hear, the crowd are quite happy about this. Why? Well, we have to fill in a little bit of background. Before we do that, though, it's worth just talking about where this fits. The Abyssinian crisis is basically the nail in the coffin of the League of Nations as a peacekeeping force. So, before you listen to this podcast, it is important that you've listened to the Manchurian crisis one and the one about the creation and the membership of the League. So, assuming you have listened to all of those things, let's talk about Italy. And to do that, we have to rewind to the war. Italy, as you'll no doubt remember, in the run-up to the Great War, was actually allied with Germany and Austria-Hungary. However, they did not go to war with the Central Powers. Indeed, they left the alliance, and in 1915, they joined the war on the side of the Allies. Although they ended the war on the victorious side, Italy didn't do well out of the peace treaties, and this was something that niggled. This was something that played on their minds. Italy is a young country, only recently brought together into a single political entity, and there is a certain inferiority complex at this period in its history, simply because they're still living in the shadow of the Roman Empire. It's something similar to what's going on in Britain today in the early 21st century, where we're trying to come to terms with the fact that we're not an imperial power anymore. We're not the most important country in the world. And Italy does not deal with this well. It's partially riding this wave of a a feeling that the country could be greater, could be better, that brings Benito Mussolini to power at the head of the first fascist government of the 1920s and 1930s. His fascist dictatorship is built on the idea of strength, the idea of masculinity, the idea of rebuilding the glory of ancient Rome. And in order to rebuild the glory of the Roman Empire, you need to rebuild an empire. And the easiest place to start with that is that golden haven of colonial opportunity, Africa. Now, by this point, most of Africa has been carved up by the European powers, but there is one little block of it that's still independent, and that is Abyssinia, what is called today Ethiopia. It's a particularly attractive target for Italy because of the rich pasture lands, the raw materials, but also convenience. It borders onto Eritrea and Somaliland, two areas of Africa that Italy already controls. The timing as well 
is a factor. Now, this is the 1930s. The world is in the grip of the Great Depression. In the same way that Japan was driven to invade Manchuria by desire for new markets, Italy also needs new markets for exports. It also needs raw materials, so those rich pastures, those iron ore deposits, those raw materials. All of those will bolster the Italian economy as well as giving them markets for finished goods. But possibly more importantly than this is the idea that fascist governments always need a scapegoat. They need, they need a distraction. They need somewhere to turn all their problems outwards rather than in. This is something that you see in any authoritarian regime, and it's no different in Italy. Well, here, the idea of a simple, quick, easy overseas victory will help distract the attention of the Italian people away from the problems at home caused by the Great Depression. From Mussolini's point of view, he's watched what happened earlier in Manchuria and he's learned a very important lesson. From watching what Japan was able to get away with from his position on the Permanent Council, he has reached the conclusion that the League of Nations will do nothing to stop an act of aggression. He can therefore get away with whatever he wants. There's also the fact that Italy is signed up to the Stressor Front. Now, if you remember, the Stressor Front is the agreement between Britain, France and Italy that they will try and enclose Germany and ensure that Germany cannot expand and Germany cannot undo the Treaty of Versailles. Italy is therefore needed, especially by France. And it is clearly signalled by France in this period that they probably would luck the other way. They give the impression that they would not interfere if Italy were to expand in Africa. So the stage is set. And in December 1934, there is something called the War Wall Incident. W-A-L, W-A-L. War Wall is a small fort that the Italians have constructed just over the border into Abyssinia from Italian Somaliland. The very creation of this small fortified position is a provocation. It is over the border and it becomes the site of an awful lot of small skirmishes. And in December 34, there is a small bloody fight there with some deaths on both sides. This incident is sent to the League for a decision. Now, factoring into this are a few international things to take into account. In Britain, at this point, during 1934 and 35, there was a, a questionnaire, a survey carried out. It was called the Peace Ballot, and as a way to judge the support of the population for the League of Nations. And the answer to these five questions comes back very, very clearly. The British public believes that by supporting the League of Nations and collective security, a war in Europe can be headed off. On the back of this, the Foreign Secretary, Sir Samuel Hoare, makes it very, very clear in an address to the General Assembly of the League of Nations that Britain will support the idea of collective security. So at the same time that this matter between Abyssinia and Italy is being sent up there, Britain is signalling that they will stand firm on the idea of collective security. France is 
suspiciously quiet. While this is sitting with the League for discussion, it is obvious that Italy is tooling up ready for an invasion. They are bringing to bear the might of a modern military machine ready to launch an attack from Somaliland and Eritrea into Abyssinia. And sure enough, on the 3rd of October 1935, the Italian forces invade, with aeroplanes, bombs, poison gas, machine guns and artillery against a fairly primitive and ill-equipped army. Mussolini claims that he is trying to bring civilization to Abyssinia. It is a clear act of aggression, a clear act of imperialism, a blatant attempt by a larger, more developed nation to invade and conquer a smaller, weaker, less developed nation. Haile Selassie, the Emperor of Abyssinia, appeals directly to the League for help. The League really should act in this situation. There is no way they can stand and do nothing in the face of such a naked act of aggression. They also have no practical reason not to get involved. Remember, with the Manchurian crisis, the problem was that it's happening way over on the other side of the world. Well, here it isn't. It's in your own backyard, especially for the British, who have a great deal of imperial activities going on in Africa. To Mussolini's surprise, the League condemns his actions. Italian imports are banned, and the sale of arms to Italy is ended. And then discussions start about other sanctions but it takes two months for those decisions to get anywhere. Why the delay? And what's the problem? The problem comes down to this. The two major powers in the League are Britain and France, and their interests do not lie directly alongside the idea of crippling Italy, for a number of reasons. Firstly, Britain and France still need Italy as a security against Germany. France especially needs Italy to provide extra security against Germany. This is driven home particularly when Hitler does what he does in the Rhineland. Now you may remember this from topic 3, but Hitler remilitarizes the Rhineland, sends the army, the German army into the Rhineland in clear violation of the Treaty of Versailles. He does this in the knowledge that Britain and France and everybody else is more concerned with what's going on in Abyssinia. But the knock-on effect for the Abyssinian crisis is that it frightens France even more to the point where they are less likely to do anything against Italy. So, what is decided at the end of these two months? It is decided that there will be a program of sanctions. But again, the sanctions are not necessarily crippling to Italy. The most important sanctions against any war economy is removing the raw materials needed to commit war, basically to fuel your military. If you really want to put in some sanctions that have weight, you stop oil, you stop coal, you stop steel you stop iron. Those are not stopped. Why aren't they stopped? Well, for a number of reasons. Firstly, the USA, not a member of the League, not required to abide by the sanctions, continues to sell oil 
to Italy. Why wouldn't they? It makes them money. And America at this point, in its isolationist phase, does not care what the knock-on effects are for the world's wider political body. France continues to supply Italy with iron and steel because, again, they do not want to drive a wedge between themselves and Italy and lose the support of Italy against Germany. And finally, the UK continues to supply Italy with coal because they are worried that any sanction against the selling of coal will put the British coal industry at risk. Again, remember, the lifeblood of the British Empire is trade, and they do not want to risk that. The final thing that they could have done in order to cripple Italy's ability to wage war on Abyssinia is to shut the Suez Canal. Now, if you're not familiar with what the Suez Canal is, it's a man-made link between the Mediterranean and the coast of Africa. It allows immediate access from the Mediterranean Sea to the east coast of Africa. If the Suez Canal had been shut down, then there is no way that Italy could have got its troops through and could not have waged war against Abyssinia. Again, Britain and France leave it open. The next stage in the development of the crisis is the Hoare-Laval Pact. And this comes around in around December 1935. And this is where, looking at the crisis, which is dragging on and on and on, surprisingly, the modern military might of Italy is not able to overcome the primitive armed forces of Abyssinia as quickly as they thought. So it's still going on. And Britain and France get together and try and come up with some way of stopping this crisis. The two people involved are Sir Samuel Hoare, the British Foreign Secretary, and Pierre Laval, the French Prime Minister. And they sit down and they come up with a secret plan to settle the conflict. And the plan is relatively simple. It will divide Abyssinia between the Italians and the Abyssinians. So far, so good. It's not ideal as a way to deal with a naked act of aggression, but at least it buys the Italians off. The problem is what exactly they propose. The idea is that they will give those fertile pasture lands to the Italians and leave the Abyssinians with the barren, useless wastelands in the mountains. This can be imagined in a, an image that I keep giving people to think about, and it's this. Imagine someone is mugged, and the mugger is stood there, and a policeman comes along and says, Evening, oh, what's all this then? And the person who's been mugged just says, I've been mugged, that guy's taken my wallet, it's got all my money in it, help me. And the policeman says, We shall come up with an equitable arrangement. What is going to happen is that the mugger is going to give you back your wallet and he can keep the money. And that's exactly what it is. It's that unfair word of this secret idea leaks out and it causes absolute public outrage. Hoare and Laval are forced to resign. Unfortunately, it doesn't make any difference because by May 1936, Abyssinia is conquered and added to the Italian Empire. The crisis is over, but the repercussions continue to ripple on outwards for a while. What were the effects of the Abyssinian crisis? Well, look at them like this. 
Italy walks out of the league in May 1936. They officially leave later in 1937. They've been pushed away from France and from Britain. And there's only one direction left for them to go. They move towards Germany. At the same time, Germany has been able to break one of the first provisions of the Treaty of Versailles by remilitarizing the Rhineland. And they've got away with it because everybody was distracted. Italy and Germany sign an agreement, the Rome-Berlin Axis, in 1936. In 1937, Japan, who left the League after the Manchurian Crisis, also joins this agreement and it becomes the Anti-Comintern Pact. Left in the League of Nations now, in terms of great powers, there is only Britain, France and the USSR. What's happened? Europe has split into two camps. After all of the great ideas, the high idealism that went into the building of the League of Nations, we're right back where we were in summer 1914, with two separate armed camps in Europe diametrically opposed to each other. More broadly speaking, the Abyssinian crisis is, as I said, the final nail in the coffin of the League of Nations. A smaller country was again attacked by a larger country and the League of Nations did nothing to help. In this case, they did absolutely nothing to help because France and Britain put their own short-term interests ahead of the needs of the League of Nations and ahead of the idea of collective security. It is now clear to everyone that the League of Nations is powerless to protect anybody. The League of Nations is no longer a peacekeeping force. The League of Nations is now a complete irrelevance. So if you want to date the end of the League of Nations as a serious way to try and keep peace in the world, you can pin it to the Abyssinian crisis. Because after that point, the League of Nations is good for nothing. So the key points you need to take away and you need to remember for your exam. You need to remember how the Abyssinian crisis developed, the reasons why Italy was interested in Abyssinia, the Wall Wall incident and the reaction of the League to that, the invasion and how the League reacted to that the sanctions and why the sanctions were ineffective. You need to be clear about Britain and France's interests and how those were different to the interests of the League. You need to know about the Hall of Val Pact and then you need to know about the repercussions of the crisis and how it finished off the League and also helped push Europe into these two separate camps. Get all of that stuff clear in your head and you will be able to answer the questions on the League. As a general rule of thumb, where the Abyssinian crisis will come up, the kind of question it will come up is, it will be a compare the Abyssinian crisis to the Manchurian crisis. Which one was more serious? Which one did the more damage to the League? Something along those lines. You might also get a source question on the Abyssinian crisis, where it may ask you to talk about the reaction of the League, it may ask you to talk about the Hall of Val Pact, or it may ask you to talk about how 
it impacted on the league. And finally, although very unlikely, you may get a describe question. Although the Abyssinian crisis is such a big topic, it seems unlikely that you will get a small format question on it. Make sure you have detailed notes on this, because it is one of those things that comes up year after year after year. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.